So this morning, I just want to talk really simple topic, the voice of God, the voice of God. There are days, most of you know that I work in the emergency room. That's not anything new. Most of you all know that. But there are days when I come home from working in the emergency room, and I work 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., and I feel pretty accomplished. I get inside. I'm tired. It's been a lot of running around. But I feel accomplished. Uh, there are situations where I was able to, you know, contribute to someone uh, getting better or, in some cases, even preventing them from, from dying. And it feels good. It feels good to know that you make a difference in somebody's life. But there are also days I leave work and I drive home in complete silence, feeling a profound sense of sadness. You see, not all that long ago I was working, and it was a pretty crazy night. We were very busy. The waiting room was completely full. There were people standing in the hallway because there were no more chairs for people to sit in. And around midnight that night, the radio beeped that, that ambulances used to call into the emergency department to tell us what they're going to be bringing. And uh, the, the familiar voice came on, and they would say their, their squad number and uh, what they were bringing. But the night was so busy, I didn't even bother to try and listen to what they were saying to the nurse who was getting the call. I, all I thought in my mind was, I've got too much stuff on my own that I need to worry about. I can't worry about that, too. So I just kind of ignored it, went on, and did what I needed to do. Took care of my patients. A short while later, as I was moving around the department trying to gather all the supplies I needed, I noticed that our trauma room door was halfway open. This was the room where EMS had brought that patient to. But the room was surprisingly silent. and There was no medical staff buzzing around. All that was left was a young man who lay lifeless on the hospital bed. And as the night continued and I walked back and forth, I sadly noticed that not one single visitor ever came. This young man died alone on a bed with no one to be with him. And as my heart broke for him, I also had a, a sense of, of gratefulness. Because I know that but for the grace of God, that could have been me. There are moments in our lives when we make decisions and choices, sometimes out of desperation, because we don't know what it is we're supposed to be doing in this life. We don't know what it is that God is trying to make us do. And when that happens, sometimes the, the emotional stress within our body takes over and we begin to make decisions out of, out of uh, frustration or out of anger or even out of hurt. And those decisions we think is the voice of God telling us what we're supposed to do, but when in reality we are so overwhelmed with emotion, we cannot distinguish that from the voice of God. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, a very familiar passage, simply says this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'll read one more passage. I didn't give this to the media team, but... It's a passage I'm sure most of you have likely heard. 
Uh, we usually quote this verse when we're at a graduation ceremony or someone's leaving for some other part of their life to start a new phase. We'll often uh, read from Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 11. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. We're going to come back to that verse here a little later. Because the truth is, oftentimes when we hear that, that verse being quoted, it's not actually in the context of the way that Jeremiah wrote it. So we'll, we'll come back to that. So just kind of file that away for a minute. What is the meaning of life? What, what happens after we die? Where did mankind come from? What is truth? You know, you don't have to look very far to discover that mankind has been asking these questions in some variation or another throughout pretty much all of our history. You see, the Greeks had Zeus and the Olympians. The Norse had Odin and the Asgardians. The Hindus had Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And the list of man-made gods is a very, very long one. When you think about it, it makes sense, right? Throughout the ages, mankind has sought to understand their place in this world. I think that deep down, all of us recognize there has to be some kind of purpose for why I'm here. But how do we know what that purpose is? Now, if, if I were giving this message at just about any college, any secular college, I would at this point be met with someone eagerly raising their hand and shouting at me saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about atheists? Atheists believe that science is the only real provable thing and all of the rest of that is just myth and legend. But what I find interesting about that statement, because I've heard it more, more times than you, could, you would imagine, is science is the pursuit of truth, right? It's the process by which man can understand the world around them. Science is simply a different approach to the same fundamental question. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Scientists routinely conduct experiments trying to understand why humans do what they do. Why do they make the choices they make? Why do they respond in the way that they do? Because scientists, for all their vaunted uh, denial of God, is just as lost as all of those other uh, false religions that I mentioned. And they are just as hungry to try to figure out, what am I here for? Because I think most of us understand that if, if we feel, if we truly believe within our heart that our life has no purpose at all, that's a pretty sad place to be. Because it means that you don't matter. It means that your choices don't matter. And if your choices don't matter, then there's really no right or wrong. Right? If there's no consequences after this life, then we can do whatever we want to do. And unfortunately, this, this ideology rears its head from time to time. Uh, we, we've seen with the uh, changes in, in, in our social um, beliefs, if you will, within the world where we've taken something that maybe for most of man's history we recognize it as not being a moral thing, and yet now on the slippery slope 
we move toward this thing now being okay. And every time the envelope gets pushed a little further, a little further, a little further about what's okay to be done. The problem with moral relativism is that there's no end. There's nothing to measure your, your code of morals by. But of all the arguments I have heard atheists make, there is one specific one that seems to come up more than any other. Now, it may be worded in different ways, but it's the same general principle. And recently I heard uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson make this argument. If you don't, don't know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is, he's an astrophysicist, a, a public speaker, a college professor, and um, he's, he's a very good speaker. He's very elegant. Um, he, his ideas flow well together. And he is, by, by all accounts, someone that most of the world looks at as being one of the smartest men of his day. When you talk to uh, scientists, especially in the fields of cosmology and astronomy and, and some of the bigger sciences, they recognize this man as someone who has authority. So when he speaks on an issue that he thinks is related to science, many people will believe him just because of a station in life. And this is how the argument goes. God cannot be all-powerful and all good. When you look at the condition of our world, the natural disasters, the disease, the plagues, the war, the famine, the pestilence, and on and on I go, it proves one of two things. Either A, God is not actually strong enough or powerful enough to fix the broken world, or he doesn't want to, and therefore he's not all good. Now, this argument for a lot of people is very effective because it seems to hit on two specific things. First, it hits on the idea of logic. People hear this, this argument in this you know, one paragraph statement here and say, okay, that, that seems to make sense, that seems logical, right? Like if God is all powerful and he's all good, then why, why do we live in such a broken world? Why doesn't God intervene and change things within this world? But the answer to this objection is actually very simple. But it's also profound. Let me demonstrate by using the same science that they say disproves God. If I said the opposite of hot, most people would say cold. Right. If I said the opposite of light, most people would say darkness. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 5 that God is light and in him dwelleth no darkness at all. 1 John 4 8 says he that loveth... Not knoweth not God, for God is love. You see, because the truth is, is that there is no such thing as cold. There is no such thing as darkness. A quick cursory search in on the dictionary.com website says this. When you look up the word cold, listen to how it defines it. It says, in a related sense, the word cold is used to describe the feeling you have when you lack heat or exposed to conditions that remove the heat from you. So there's no such thing as actual cold. It is just the absence of the presence of heat. You see, whereas mankind likes to say that God can't be good because look at all the evil, the truth is there is evil because man has excluded God from their presence. 
Mankind has, little by little through the years, removed God from every possible avenue. We've tried to take him out of our courthouses. We've tried to take him out of the White House. We've tried to take him out of the schoolhouse. And yet we're surprised when we don't see God intervening in these places. But the truth is God is not going to force you to change. Because that's not a relationship. That's abuse. If I make you do something, that's not love. That's me exerting power over you and making you do something against your will. But God created man for relationship. And therefore, he gives man the ability to choose him or to exclude him. Unfortunately... Not only do we have a world that excludes God in the forms of atheism and false religions, but the only thing more dangerous than this is when a false prophet distorts the word of God to fit their idea of what God is like or what they believe God should be like. We live in a generation that treats God and his word like an infomercial. Are you offended by what the Bible says about living holy? No problem. I've got a translation for you that removes all of the harsh language. No pesky rules, just grace. Are you tired of all that toxic masculinity? No worry. Try the NRSB. It's the first Bible that is completely gender neutral. And sadly, I am not making that up. Are you too busy to sit and read the Bible? Not enough time to devote to studying what the, the scriptures say? No worries. I've got a Bible for you too. The Message Bible is designed to just give you the overall thoughts of what the Bible says. Without all those these and thous and pesky rules, it just kind of gives you the moral feeling of what, what is trying to be said. So you can read a couple paragraphs and be done. Don't even have to study. Don't have to read the cross-references, the whole chapter. Just read, read what we say the Bible means and you'll be good to go. Now, while I'm trying to be somewhat humorous, it's actually true. All of these translations that I just mentioned exist. There are translations of the Bible that remove God as ever creating anything. You know, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God spoke the worlds into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And yet, in some translations, they say God told the light to shine, meaning that the light was already there. God didn't create anything. He just flipped the switch. And the argument that scientists also will often come back to is, is saying, where did God come from? If, if everything that is created had to come from somewhere, where is God? But again, it's a fundal, fundamental misunderstanding of the very nature of God. Everything that was created did have to come from somewhere. But God was not created. God is the only thing that is eternal. The only thing that is absolute. The degradation of the word is far-reaching. False teachers like Joyce Myers, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Just think in your head. How many of you have ever listened to, and I'm not trying to attack this person individually, like that I have something against her on a personal level. I've never, never talked to Joyce Meyer, never corresponded with her, don't really know anything about her outside of what I have seen her teach and preach. How many of us, though, have listened to someone maybe like Joyce Meyer, like T.D. Jakes, like some of these other individuals, 
and, and they, they, they speak and they, they, they give these inspirational thoughts and messages and, and we think, ooh, that, that's pretty good. And we begin to listen because we like the way that their messages make us feel. That we like the way that, that their messages never seem to really convict us of anything and yet they just inspire us. And so within our own human emotion, we like this. So we surround ourselves with people who will tell us the things that we like to hear, but not necessarily the things we need to hear. You see, if you were to look at research that covers the past 40 years, you would find that the absolute moral law of God isn't really absolute to many Christians. Nearly 70% of American adults who claim to be Christian believe that homosexuality is not actually a sin. It doesn't matter what the scripture actually says. It matters what they believe. Each year, approximately 2.5 million Americans leave church. Each year. We come to church and we believe because of the, of the presence of God, we feel that our country, by and large, it's a Christian nation, right? But the truth is, is that this country, like much of the world is being deceived constantly by people who say they represent God, but change his word and are leading many to destruction. Now, I'm going to try to get through this quickly because I, I hope to be able to show you something here at the very end. The Roman Empire was one of the most powerful, influential civilizations in world history. Its demise began internally with moral erosion and ended externally with military invasions. In about half the time of the Roman Empire, America has become the greatest civilization ever. Yet we've learned very little from the past. Alexander Tyler, a Scottish historian from the late 1700s, early 1800s, said this, the average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been about 200 years. These nations have progressed through this sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From great courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to selfishness. From selfishness to apathy. And from apathy to dependence. Until eventually dependence leads back into bondage. This is the danger of living in such comfort that you never have to depend on God for anything. This is the danger that we face when we believe it's not a problem. I'll work an extra job. I can do it. I can, I can make all of my needs met. But nearly two and a half centuries later from what this historian said... We find that America is between apathy and dependence. Sadly, I'd say we're pretty close to crossing over that dependence back into spiritual bondage. For generations, the land of the free and the home of the brave has been blessed with abundant prosperity. But unfortunately, the American dream has become a nightmare for many. Selfishness and apathy have poisoned our culture, and now capitalism is threatened by socialism. But far worse than all of this 
is the sad reality that many of our churches have been completely infested with the spirit of fear. You see, we declare God's morality, but avoid being specific so that we don't offend others. We declare that God is sovereign, but look to politicians to save the country. We kneel at an altar, promising submission to God, but only if the cost isn't too great. We say that God will provide all of our needs, but when times get tough, we pretend to play on our phones as the offering plate passes us by. I don't enjoy standing here and pointing out all of these things because I want to stand here and give you just an encouraging word. I, I, I do think that we need that encouragement. I, I do want to deliver that message to you. But I would be wrong if I did not at least give you the option to know there is truth, it is absolute, and that there are consequences for ignoring God's word. Listen to what John chapter 10 says, starting in verse 19. There was a division, therefore, again amongst the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he hath a devil. These Jews were hearing Jesus teach. He, they were watching him do all of these miracles. And, and now they're arguing with one another about how it is that he's doing this. And, and, and verse 20 says, and many of them said, he hath a devil and is mad. Why hear you? Why are you listening to him? He obviously he has a devil, right? But others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus talked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, just tell us already. Tell us plainly. Listen to what Jesus says in response. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I already told you. You didn't believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. There are too many people, too many Christians, looking for a God who fits what they believe God should be. They're looking for a version of Christianity that supports what they feel in their heart Christianity should be. And yet God is trying to tell us that I've already told you who I am. I've already explained to you what is right and what is wrong. But if you do not follow the words that I give you, you are not my sheep. Those aren't my words. That's what Jesus said. He looked to the Jews, the ones who, who were so devout, the ones who declared that they loved God and that there was only one God. And he looked at them, though, and he said, you're not my sheep because you don't do what I say. You're not following me anywhere. You're following around your idea of what I should be. And therefore, you don't hear my voice when I speak to you. You hear the voice in your own head telling you what you want to hear, what you want to do. 
So listen quickly. I'm going to I'm going to skip. I'm going to go to Jeremiah because there's a specific reason why I am mentioning all of this in relation to the voice of God. Because you see, often we say that the voice of God, we know it because it leads us into good times. We know the voice of God because it leads us into blessings. We know the voice of God because God would only lead us into happy places. That, that's what a lot of people teach. Listen to God. Oh, you feel like you should go switch churches because you don't like the way the tie fits on the pastor? That's the Spirit of God. He's leading you to, to happier times. But listen to what happens in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I'm going to start here in verse 4, and I'm going to kind of skip down. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive. Look at the second part. Whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Jesus, the, the word here says that God caused them to be brought into captivity. Now, immediately, like, okay, let me say for me. I don't want to put anything, anyone, words in anyone else's mouth. So for me, when I read passages like this, I think immediately what my mind comes to is, yeah, of course God led them there because they were all sinners and they weren't listening to God, so he immediately put them into bondage. But there's a problem with, with being this generalist, if you will. You see, because when they went into bondage, there were four specific people who were affected by this, who when we think of them, we don't think of people who are disobeying God. Daniel. Well, we teach about Daniel. He's a good guy, right? He listened to the voice of God even in the face of persecution. He continued to not deny God even when it caused him to be thrown into a den of lions. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys who stood there while everyone else kneeled before the false idol, they stood, and when given a second chance, they said, I don't care what you do to us. Throw us in the fire. We know that our God is able to deliver us. So we can't say that when it says that God calls them to be led into to, to, uh, Babylon, that he was punishing everyone. And he goes through in verse 5, and he goes from 5 to 10. I'm not going to read them. Read them later. But it says that basically he tells them, while you're here, while you're in this place, while you're in Babylon, I want you to prosper. I want you to seek peace. I want you to build houses. I want you to marry. Because he said, when you prosper, others prosper. And he gives them a word of encouragement here in verse 11. Remember that verse I said at the beginning that is often misquoted? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That passage was nothing to do with saying that I'm going to bring you to a land of milk and honey by itself and, and you're going to have fun. No, God is saying that I am leading you into the darkest moment of your life. But when you get there, know that I'm already thinking about you. Know that while you stand in that place of darkness... I still want to bless you. I still have your best interest at heart. Church, the voice of God is not meant to give you your every wish and desire. The voice of God is to help you meet your maker in eternity. If all you look for is blessings now, you may get it. But in the end, 
you will be very disappointed when you realize that you weren't actually hearing the voice of God, yet the voice of yourself. I have a, a, a short audio clip that I want to play, and then we're going to wrap this up. So there will be no, nothing on the screen. Just listen to the audio. was in Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. The pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front, I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up, and it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're gonna. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing, and it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing and we flew probably three, four minutes and something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day and we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, Tell him, we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm going to do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm going to get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. 
And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice. Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand? Without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're going to make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices and everybody in this world wants to talk to you and everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop. And the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. I knock at my door. And I open the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. 
Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God Stop it there. who has promised to take you. Let's all stand. Church, I understand that in this room, at any given moment, there are those who are facing storms that maybe the rest of us don't even know about. Maybe it's a storm within your marriage, within your health, within your finances, within work, wherever it may be. And you feel that you're invisible because no one else around you sees and knows what you're going through. And in those moments you feel alone and you feel like, I need to make some kind of choice because I don't know if I can continue to feel like this. And the temptation of the world is to say, see, God doesn't love you because you wouldn't be going through that mess if God loved you. But the truth is, just, just like this man illustrated in this speech, that there are times when we believe and we, we think that God must not love me because I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know where I'm going, and God is standing there next to you saying, but I do. I know where you are. I know where I'm trying to take you. And it's going to be greater than anything you've known before, but you have to listen to the voice through the storm. Unfortunately, in America, we have this escapist mentality that, that we think we should never face trials. We should never face tribulations because we're saved. But the truth is, is that God saves you by bringing you through the tribulation, through the hard times. As we pray, I want you to consider just two things. When you've reached that place in your life where you feel that you have given everything you can, you feel like you've made enough sacrifice and you don't have anything else to give. I encourage you to look back to the cross and realize there's still more that can be given. And in that moment of your darkest season, when you think there is no longer hope, I want you to look to the empty tomb and know that our God is not dead. He lives. And as long as he lives, there is hope. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your voice, oh God. I pray, help us to silence the voices around us, those who would lie to us and mislead us, oh God. And I pray, let us hear your voice. You are the good shepherd, and you are the one who brings the sheep into eternity. Lord, help us to be sensitive enough and disciplined enough to listen to your voice no matter where it take us, takes us. Lord, in our darkest moments, I pray that we would not look left, we would not look right, we would not look behind us, but we would look up to the hills where our help comes from. Lord, I pray that as we move into our second service, let there be a sense of worship and, and, and greatness and, and giving you thanks for all that you have done, removing the spirit of fear, removing the spirit of despair, and understanding that we are called to have a spirit of hope. And we give you all the glory, all of the honor, in Jesus' name.